Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transporter beam. Now. Hello, welcome everyone to Star Trek from the Holodeck. I am Michael, your host and the captain. Of course, that's why I sit in the big chair. And then Ensign David over there in the little chair. Hello, David. Hello. Hopefully, you know, I won't get obliterated by a hull breach somehow (laughs) since I'm an ensign. Yeah, I would definitely, uh, I'd definitely not mourn you. It was your fault. You shouldn't have tried to fix the instead you'll whatever that was. Instead you'll feel more sorry for a probe. I would feel sorry for the probe. The dot, I did feel bad when the dot screamed out. I'm like, oh come on, why do you gotta do that? Why do you gotta do that? That's like shooting a dog in a movie. Like, why? <laughs> when are you gonna kill dot? Not fair. So, alright. This is Star Trek from the Holla Holla. We're already starting, Dave. I can't (laughs) speak. It's holiday season. Tomorrow's Christmas Eve. And I just, I think I just want to get drunk and fall asleep. You want to get into that Romulan ale. Yeah. In fact, I'm already in that vacation mode. You know how that happens? The the most unproductive time of year for me and for most people, I'm sure, is the day before Christmas. Day before Christmas. Yeah. You're just like, fuck it. (laughs) There's no, I don't even have notes for today. It's like, eh. Just let it happen. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So if you are new to this show, you can find our podcast pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts. You just have to search Star Trek from the holodeck. Our preferred podcast provider is iTunes because you can leave us ratings and reviews, which we do need in order for our show to continue to grow and we can keep doing things for the listeners. Okay, David. So we are going to be talking about Star Trek Discovery season four, episode six titled. Actually, I don't remember the title. Do you remember the title? Oh, it's Stormy Weather. Stormy Weather. That's right. Stormy Weather. And directed by our uh, fan favorite, man. Jonathan Franks is back. Yeah. Jonathan Franks directed. And this was, dude, the, the guy knows how to direct the fuck out of an episode. Because this episode was so concise with almost every element. And yeah, that uh, a lot of that has to do with writing, of course. But you got to be able to translate that script over properly and the fact that every single one of our crew members was utilized, I mean, come on. That is a coincidence. No. He purposely brought attention to pretty much every single one of our crew members. And that's why we essentially were given a very classic Star Trek vibe in this episode. Down to the ship, man. Yeah. Down to the ship. Yeah. And honestly, every time Jonathan Franks steps into the directorial seat for star trek i'm i'm comfortable i know that I'm, the episode's gonna turn out fine because in every in my opinion every time jonathan franks mm-hmm. has can't come back to this franchise to direct can you name a bad episode 
now. I can't name a bad episode that he's done. Yeah. Well, listen, maybe in uh, Picard. But even even in the Picard one, because I, I remember was, me and you covering it. It's one of the better episodes. It's yeah. one of the better episodes. Yeah. No, for sure. Now, it does seem like Discovery might be finding its feet. And that's something we had said during the first episode this season that this is the this is the season. This is going to be the telling season because based on history, every single Star Trek show really finds itself by that fourth season. And sure enough, it seems like that is the general consensus so far. We're six episodes in. There's still, you know, more than half of the season to go. So anything can happen. But it does seem like there's a lot of people now from the critic side. Fans, there are. It's still split. But... Critic wise, critically, a lot of people are rallying behind this season by saying that Star Trek Discovery is finally embracing standalone storytelling. Yes. I would say yes and no. It's more hybrid. So it's a little of a misnomer saying standalone because, yes, they are self contained in a lot of ways, but at the same time, they are still adding more layers to the myth arc. This yeah. is what I call hybrid serial storytelling. Storytelling, yes. But if you think about it, compared to season three, season two, and season one, season four has a different vibe to it because of that hybrid storytelling that yeah. they're doing. Because I actually feel like I'm I'm feeling that I know the crew, the cast more than any of the other past seasons. Mm-hmm. Here are the joke in, in early discovery was we didn't even know anybody of the, anyone's name we, and, we until like second season. Dude, I didn't even realize Detmer was on the, the Shinzao ship. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't even realize that her injury with her eye happened in the first episode, <laughs> in the first episode. And then like, but then when you get to this particular season, we're getting more de- more growth in book. We're getting more all, growth. All characters. All the characters. All of them. And some yeah. that we didn't even think we'd ever ever get any insight on. I mean I mean we have a new we have more than our regular crew. Yeah. We we also have Zora now. We now have who's, Zora who's becoming a viable character in the show. Who is amazing. I yeah. mean this this episode really highlighted the one thing that everyone, a lot of like fans from the short treks have been rallying for is more, we want to see the growth of that, you know, character that we saw in Calypso and this particular episode, you're seeing it. You're seeing the first stages of Zora taking that, that those steps where she, she's going to become like what we saw in Calypso. Yeah. Yeah, dude, there's a lot of things falling into place. There's a lot of allusions to bigger elements pertaining to the Star Trek universe with the mention of the galactic barrier. I mean, they are going the distance this season. They're not pulling punches. And we should have seen the writing on the wall because if you look at the season three, I mean, they're willing to use the Guardian of Forever. So if they're willing to go with that type of callback, I think without wanting to spoil things for people, I'm not going to get too much into detail because I want people to be surprised by things, but I have a feeling we're going in a very specific direction. The moment they, and they mentioned the galactic barrier, I was like, okay, I see what we're, we're doing here. And we'll get into the details in, yes. in just a moment. Because not a lot of, I'll, I'll be honest. I was really surprised that not a lot of Star Trek fans 
know about the galactic barrier. Yeah. And I was like, like really? Yeah. I mean, it's well, only it's been showed up in like the original series. Showed up. What or, are you, what are you ghetto? <laughs> it only showed up. Showed up. It's, a, it's only been used in like, let's see, the original series. Yeah. It's been used in movies. It's been used in books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So whoever is controlling the DMA is from outside the known galaxy. That is what we learned in this episode. They are far from but they're they're basically beyond they're from beyond the galactic barrier yes. and this is exciting for a lot of reasons number one this is what we should be doing in a show like discovery we're 900 plus years from anything we've seen before and rather than dealing with the same type of threats we could possibly be dealing with something entirely new and that is what we should be doing we're 900 years in the future how many times have i said we need to use that aspect of discovery to really do things not just in the way of technology and oh look a personal transporter and holodecks in our rooms no story wise not just when it comes to the aesthetics and and the tech and stuff like that but the the geographical layout basically re introducing things to us because we don't know anything about anything 900 years in the future so oh, yeah. why not bring us new species as well or new threats or things that maybe we've might uh, might have alluded to in books and but now we can actually get more detail into it yeah now the galactic barrier is fairly iconic within trek canon for one and for another in non-canon it's also very popular because it's where these so-called super beings exist. Now, typically, I'm not in the habit of bringing non-canon Star Trek discussions necessarily into a discussion to then draw parallels or conclusions that may say we, we could see things like this in Discovery because the chances of them pulling things from books and comics is very slim because they're not canon. However, the Q Continuum book series was one of the more popular book series within the Star Trek fandom. And we already know that Discovery has been willing to pull from non-canon elements within Trek and oh, yeah. rework them to work within canon or within the structures of Trek canon. And... The Great Barrier and the Galactic Barrier are two things that were connected to the Q Continuum, continuum, which they did mention. That's another reason why I got a little happy, because last episode, they specifically mentioned the Q Continuum. And then we have the Great Barrier and the Galactic Barrier that were two things created by the Q Continuum to protect the galaxy from evildoers, is what they're called, or yes. evil super beings. Uh, in canon, it was explored a bit in the original series. This is where we can derive a little bit more meaning. Now, the galactic barrier was an energy field composed of negative energy surrounding the rim of the Milky Way galaxy. And this galaxy, if people aren't aware, is divided into four quadrants, okay, which are elements that we've all seen at some point in a Star Trek series. Oh, yeah. Now, interestingly, the Great Barrier showed up in the original series uh, by any other name. It's titled uh, Warp Travel Through the Barrier Caused Extreme Sensory Distortions. 
The barrier had been encountered on several occasions by Earth and Starfleet vessels, and they mentioned several the original series episodes where no man has gone before by any other name. Is there truth? No beauty. Yep. Now, the first encounter involving an Earth vessel occurred in 2065 with the SS Valiant. Okay, now the reason why I bring this up is because it may have some deeper connection to book. <laughs> yes. It now does. we all know what happened to book in this episode. And if you go to the wiki and I'm going to post these links so you guys can read them on your own. But in most cases we have issues that damage several systems. When you pass through the galactic barrier, uh, it disables the warp drive. It creates strange electric shocks to the nervous system of the human crew members uh, in most cases, this caused death from the brain damage, as was the case for nine Enterprise crew members. Individuals, this is where it gets important and relevant to Discovery. Individuals with the highest ESP ratings, such as Dr. Elizabeth Denher and Lieutenant Commander Gary Mitchell. There you go. Yep survived the shock and were altered as a result they developed a multitude of psionic powers at a geometric rate they began to view their former friends and shipmates as lower life forms okay we we're all familiar with, with that. the gary mitchell story yeah, we're all, but if, if you, you think about it book is perfect for that because yes. what is book's main quote-unquote power his connection his connection his his type of what a form of telepathy telepathy yeah Sound like a, he has to have a high ESP rating. Yeah. So look at how look how he was at the center of that. Look how he was affected by it. And we already know that the writers are planning something for him because a lot of the season is actually centered around him. And you don't do that unless you are planning something big for the character. Yes. You have a guy who is disgruntled. He's getting more angry. He is getting more emotional. Uh, he is also creating distrust. That was the whole point of that yep. conversation with his uh, alleged hallucination of his father and him saying, I don't know if this is me or if this is actually you. Um, if it is me, it, it kind of bothers me that I'm, I don't trust Burnham essentially is what he was saying. I'm paraphrasing here uh -huh. because his father is telling him that he should not trust Burnham. So there's a few things we can glean for this either it's a hallucination and it's a subconscious telling him things or someone's trying to communicate with communicate him. with them. And think about, think about like this too. All the symptoms that book experienced in this one is very reminiscent of the episode with Gary Mitchell. Gary Mitchell became more paranoid. He became more aggressive. Then yes. he became godlike and basically looked down at everyone and basically, you know, viewed everyone below him. Book, in a lot of respect, is getting the same symptoms of Gary Mitchell, at least in the first stages. Yeah. The difference between Gary Mitchell and Book is Book is literally, his aggression is due to the to his grief. Mm -hmm. It's all tied to his grief. Gary Mitchell was more or less like, I have to go back and watch the show, but it was based on jealousy. He became, he became so, jealous. so powerful that he started looking at humanity as in, insignificant, essentially. Yeah. D now, Dave, okay, we can, we can draw some conclusions to what you said. Yes, I would agree. But then when you have moments where a character 
when the doctor said, oh, these these are hallucinations, everything's fine, don't worry about it, that should be enough for the audience. When you're writing a script, that's all we need to know, if it is a hallucination. But if it isn't a hallucination, you then add that scene where he questions whether or not it's hallucination hallucination or something else. And you don't do that unless you're either trying to subvert expectations or you're trying to lead us in a very specific direction. Now, David, I'm going to say something that you normally say with your theories. Who else reached through barriers in order to bring a starship? <laughs> the god of Shakari. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I knew you were going to fucking love it. Oh, my God. Oh, I don't care who hates that movie. I love Star Trek V. It's one of my favorites. It's so philosophical. It's a starship. It's what just is so god perfect. But we're dealing with these types of things now, Dave. So I don't know how far-fetched this is. I'm not saying they're going to use the name is the one. The one. This super being. He's one of the super beings from beyond the barrier, according to non-canon. In canon, we don't officially have uh, an explanation other than the fact that he was imprisoned on that planet in Star yeah. Trek V. And you got to remember, I know a lot of fans are saying, well, didn't didn't Kirk and company kill the one they just blasted them with phasers blasted them with phasers and then booked it they ran away (laughs) yeah so anything can happen at this point when it comes to you know the the, the bigger picture of star trek because look at what they did last season they're not they're not holding back punches they brought in the guardian of forever so they have no they have no problem bringing in some of these super beings as well will you will you lose your mind if like Book starts saying things like share your pain with me. (laughs) I'm telling you, look at the theme of this episode. The theme of this episode at its center was all about taming your emotions. Yes. So everything is (laughs) falling into place. It's It's, it's going in a very specific direction. And I'm actually pretty fucking excited about it. Whether or not we get these connections, it doesn't matter. The idea, the fact that we are discussing and speculating, that's what a show should do. This is true water cooler talk, water cooler talk. And the thing is, which Star Trek has been missing that since season one. Oh, absolutely. And then particularly with this episode, we finally get, connections that we as star trek fans even the hardcore star trek fans know about Mm -hmm. and that creates the water cooler talk that's why we can't talk about the god of (laughs) shockery and like i'm not kidding when i thought about it i thought about the connection to how they could do it is because book is going through these grieving processes and i'm like going the the automatic thing that came into my mind at one point, if book all of a sudden says, share your pain with me, and one of his hallucinations says that. Yeah, that, that then, was a cyborg thing, though, right? Wasn't that more of a cyborg thing than the one? I thought he was just talking to him, pretending to be the god of Shakari. The god of Shakari. <laughs> I need to go back. It's been a few years since I watched that film. It's, I want to see if I can pull some things from oh, it. Oh, yeah, you can. Automatically, any of the classic Star Trek films, you could pull a lot of stuff. Well, out. I mean, possible connections to to this season. But who knows? We'll see what happens. I'm very excited with the direction they're going. I really liked this subspace rift element. It was a, a vital aspect of the season because it gave us a lot of answers and, in essence, really propelled the season's myth arc forward. Yeah. And I... 
I like the strategy behind the writing so far, uh, even though we had some problems with, with episode two, um, personally, you know, you and I, as a show, I should say, I mean, one out of six, isn't something to scoff at in the way of quality. And I feel like another element that's working in the show's favor, if they have an episode that isn't that great because they're not so invested in a deep connected serial this season that allows them to essentially reset every episode. So if you don't like that episode, guess what? Well, here's a new self-contained story with a little bit of the myth arc sprinkled on top. Exactly. And that I think that's turning into discovery strength. And I really, really hope they embrace it. Yeah. Because they can, I hope this isn't a fluke. This isn't a fluke. Yeah. I do not want this to be a fluke because for the first time in four seasons, Mike, I finally feel that discovery is feeling more Star Trek like, and I hate, say, no, I hate saying that, but th- how else do we explain it? Like, I hate saying, Oh, this is like Star Trek because that's such a, a generic statement. Because when you think about it, let's say the premiere of Deep space nine, it was not like Star Trek. Yeah. You know, it took, it took us a while to, to change our, to, pers- to get used to it and change our perspective on what we viewed in a subjective sense, what Star Trek was. Yeah. So, I hate saying that, but I also think it's, there's validity to it. You well, know, the, the biggest example that I, I always, I, I've been telling people the difference of discovery and any of this other Star Trek series. Think about this is in the previous series, Deep Space Nine, TNG, the original series, Voyager. By season one, you know, everyone in the crew, everyone, you know, everyone in the crew. Discovery was different because we didn't even know the crew's names till second season. And then in third season, we start by that time, we know everybody. And then by fourth season, oh, they get, they got, you know, promoted and we see them as all lieutenants. And then they started taking them away. They took away Tilly. They took away Giorgio. And in other series, in the past series, you'd never see that. You'd see the whole crew stay together for like seven, eight seasons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if you notice this episode utilized every single one of our characters. Exactly. Every single one of them, except maybe Jet Reno, but she's also almost like the Barkley of, oh, of Discovery. Discovery. Not yeah. in personality, obviously, but you know how actually every Star Trek series had those one or two characters that would be in the background and they would probably be in maybe a handful of episodes out of the entire season. And that seems to be Jet Reno's groove. Mm -hmm. And, and I guarantee you that, yes, we probably down the line, we'll get an episode jet, jet Reno centric. Yeah. And just much like, you know, like this one, we, we got book centric, but we also got Zora centric. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, it's about give and take. You got to focus on, uh, there's a reason why they focus on certain characters. Mm-hmm. But the, the beautiful thing is this past season, they focused on different characters every single episode. It's not just, and I hate people that called discovery this, the Burnham show. Yeah. It's not the Burnham show anymore. It's the discovery show. Yeah. She's the captain and she's always going to be at the center, but they are focusing on the gamut of characters. You can, you can make the, you can make the argument that for the past five episodes, 
our main focus hasn't been Burnham. It's been Book. I would agree. It is Book's Book. Been the, Book's been the main focus of everything. He is the central thread in terms of emotion. In terms of emotion. Yeah. All right. So the way the episode was written was, I, just, I mean, everything just worked in the way of writing. This episode resembled a classic Trek mission. And what I mean by that, I think this is the first time in a while where we saw a naval style tactics from any Trek series. TOS and TNG were great with that, showing us maritime style tacticians. The use of sonar was even brought into yes. the episode, which was a brilliant way to fully realize that idea as well. So having them ha have the captain at the center leading this naval type, you know, mission where they all need to play a part on the bridge in order to be successful. It reminded me of the episode where Kirk was chasing after the cloaked Romulan vessel. It reminded me of Picard when they were being chased by that super entity and they were trying to avoid it. Where you saw the true talent of the captain come into play and the way he commands that bridge. Or no, even take it further, it reminded it, it personally reminded me of like Wrath of Khan, the naval there scene. There you go. The submarine yeah. scene. That whole the whole moment that they're on the bridge was the first time ever in Discovery for me where I felt like it was like a submarine. We were in a submarine, which is what is the feeling that you need to have and in, in that we always got with the Enterprise. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was another great part of this episode was I don't think we've gotten an episode. Have we been given an episode like that where they actually truly create that naval vibe? Not really. I mean, yes, we've had action scenes. We've had battles, battle scenes and stuff like this, but nothing like this where it's like, no, they're doing like, commanding missions and, yeah. and or commanding orders and calling out orders, calling out, you know, like it's naval. It's very, it's very maritime it, to me. Some of the best episodes of the original series, in my own opinion, is those, epi those episodes that focused on the bridge where Kirk had to prove that he knew what he was doing, he was doing. as captain. Well, and there's like that, there's that, organic tension when you start yeah, that's the word, talking yeah. about uh, giving out the orders like that because like yes yeah, star trek is known for their techno babble right mm -hmm. everyone talks about the techno babble but the one thing that people forget about is like star trek is also about wartime it's it's their military the, uh, when we watch the old enterprise crew they all do military talk. Yeah. They do like, you know, even like when you look at the, the captain's, uh, captain's logs and everything else, what does he do? He uses date like military date. Yeah. And this, this episode was the first time you actually, I feel like this is the first time that we see them actually use that element for the crew. Yeah. And it added that organic like tension when they're like, in the middle of nothing, and think about that too, Mike. They're creating tension out of nothing. Yeah. Complete blackness. Complete blackness. Yeah. But it's the way that 
the actors all talk. The way it's it was how they written. look and written. The way it was directed. You have this organic tension that's in the air out of nothing. That creates anxiety. It's really good. And that idea of anxiety is what fueled a lot of this episode as well. Because having Discovery deal with the subspace void, this unknown uh, aspect also served as a platform to flesh out Discovery's kind of new crew member, Zora. Zora. I say kind of new because the ship's computer is evolving quickly when compared to last season, which so far, this David is by far my favorite element of this season. Zora's growth from computer and data to a sentient artificial life. This is a tried and true Trek archetype, yes. a quintessential Trek element. And when developed correctly, it really helps with informing the audience of narrative intent and it aids in character development across the board. Yeah. If Zora is used correctly, this could be yet another way the writers could dig deep into the intricacies of the human condition. Human condition. How uh, the thing I'm hoping for is that they give more, more gravity and more explanation about the AI element in Star Trek. I because believe they will. Here's the thing. I'm going to bring it up. Picard yeah. tried to go there. Yeah. They failed miserably. <laughs> Discovery, though, is going there and they're succeeding because, because of how it's being written and how they're dealing with it by connecting it with the human condition. They're taking the story of book and basically connecting it to Zora, who's an AI intelligence, and I love the scenes where Zora's trying to explain to the captain, you know, I'm feeling this sensation. I know what it is, but the way that Zora says it, she doesn't know how to put it into terms. Yeah. And it's very reminiscent of like data. Data doesn't know what it means to laugh or data doesn't know that, that those are the coolest point, points in TNG for me when it comes to the story of AI sentience. Yeah. There is a lot of breathing room they have given themselves in the way of the philosophical because they can really stretch their philosophy legs with an aspect like this. And that's why these types of things always work for me in almost any form of science fiction that's done the right way. Yeah. With Star Trek, it's, it's, at a, it's pretty much the cornerstone of Trek in many ways because it allows you to explore the aspects of the human condition. Even when you're dealing with aliens, it's still about the human condition because it's, it's about us. It's the messaging is for us as the viewer. I mean, uh, sentience and AI are two of the bigger components of modern philosophy, the philosophy of artificial intelligence, which is a branch of uh, the philosophy of technology that explores uh, artificial intelligence and its implications for knowledge and yeah. understanding of intelligence, ethics, logic. consciousness, logic, epistemology, and free will. And these are, are all key, key ingredients of any Trek series. So this Zora element has some legs. Yeah. They can really take the story down some interesting routes with this. Well, I also, one, of the, one of the more interesting elements actually... Prior to us starting the recording, you mm -hmm. brought up that I actually now think about it. It only took me a couple minutes to think about it after you mentioned it was the dot scene. The dot scene where basically the, the, 
the dot gets quote unquote eaten. Right. Right. And at first I thought it was so cheesy because she, she, uh, they say, oh, it sounds like screaming. Yeah. And I, I was like going, that is kind of, th- that's kind of weird. Why the heck would the dot scream? But then because you threw in the element of Zora in there, that's a part of her. I think, I and, think that's why I was screaming. And it, that's why it was screaming because yeah. it's Zora. And now here's the thing. Zora would not know how to react. She, she even stated to the captain, like, I, there's these sensations I'm going through. I have no idea what it is. Right. I could just tell you that, oh, there's a hull breach here. That's that sensation. Yeah. <laughs> and she's That's not going to so scream. Isn't that interesting? But think about it. Like, instinctively, that dot is that dot, like the little dots, robots that mm-hmm. are around her are an extension of Zora. Yeah. So it gets eaten, and Zora experiences that. The main Zora doesn't know how to react to that, but that dot knows it's screaming in pain. (laughs) Yeah. And I didn't think about that until the ending of the episode when she tells Burnham, I want to say she said a part of her is dying because the body, the hull was burning away. The hull was burning away. And she said, a part of me is dying. And I'm like, okay. What was that? I know. That was, I actually was kind of sad. I was sad. I was like, going, you got to get, that was the first time. Ever in a Star Trek uh, this season where I basically am, am worried about a character like you legitimately feel sorry for Zora, uh, Zora because she doesn't know what's going on. But she, uh, her logic senses and her her intelligence is telling her a part of you is dying. Yeah. Well, you don't know how to react to this. <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting, Dave. And the things that they did with it specifically in this episode is quite intriguing. It's and intriguing and it's intelligent it's, when you think about it. It's strange because it's unique, but at the same time, it also is very familiar. Yeah. Well, think about it like this. Like, um, the I know a lot of people are saying, well, Zora not being able to, to react to that is odd. How is it odd? Think about like if a child burns their hand on a stove for the first time, they don't know what they're doing. They just realize it's pain. Yeah. Or they don't even know why certain feelings, or why certain feelings happen, or what they are. Like I just, I just had this conversation with my son cause he was acting weird and he doesn't know what depression is. You know, mm-hmm. he's 14. He's 14. And he's all, I don't feel good. And I'm like, what doesn't feel good? He's like, I don't know. I just feel tired and bored and I'm like I think you're sad for some reason after you know we obviously discussed for a long time and I pinpointed it he's all like oh maybe I like I don't I don't know you know how does that feel why would I be sad and I'm like I don't know so kids it's just like Zora Zora is learning she's evolving she's kind of an infant in some ways you know she doesn't really fully grasp and understand things so for her to say she doesn't understand these feelings makes a lot of sense. And a then, lot of sense. And then it really brings the gravity of that scene between her and Burnham. And it's understandable why Burnham is so, I wouldn't say she's traumatized, but she's heavily concerned when Zora basically tells her it feels like a part of me is dying. Yeah. And even before that, when you say concerned, the the lack of trust, and this goes into my next point, when Zora told Burnham that she can tell that, she doesn't trust her. Well, of course, Burnham doesn't trust her. Have you forgotten season two's villain? <laughs> villain <laughs> was an AI. Yeah. So I would also be a little nervous about this AI developing so much, you know, sentience. Yes, yeah, sentience that suddenly it becomes a villain. So I get it. But this is my next point. I also dig the relevance of Zora's creation 
as it pertains to another AI, which is control, that <laughs> was intent on destroying all biological life. Now, think about it. Control was after the Red Sphere data for its knowledge. And in the process of protecting that information, Discovery's computer became sentient. It's actually quite poetic, especially when you contrast the two. The one AI is evil and the other is good. And now, Dave, we might not have seen the end of control, which might be the reason why Zora, as seen in Short Treks, ends up having to live alone on the ship to keep the data hidden. Exactly. Because this feels like we're going full circle. We still have to explain why Zora has to go off on her own and be essentially hidden in a nebula. Yeah. Because if you remember from season two, they had to always stay ahead of control. control. And now that we see that one AI was essentially born of another, that's pretty much how you can explain it. Yes. This AI would never have been formed if they were trying to keep the data and preserve it and protect it. And by protecting this data that an evil AI was after, it becomes its own AI. So this isn't a coincidence. This isn't by accident. This is intentional. And that's why I'm like going, there's so many, there's so many avenues like earlier in the episode where me or in regards to this episode, me and you have discussed, there's so many avenues that they could have gone. They can, they can go. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that's being let up that, that we need to pay attention to is this is still the story of the discovery and bringing in control would make sense. I'm not saying right now. I'm not saying this season. I'm saying before the show is over. Before the show is over, yeah. In order to get Zora off in her little hiding place, it would make a lot of sense to bring control back. Because exactly. why would they need to hide her? Unless control still threatening. Exactly. To come get the data, whatever. So we'll see. But either way... It works in a multitude of different ways. Okay, so the scene between Zora and Grey was really good. I like the idea that Zora essentially surpasses her ability, her abilities as ship's computer by focusing. I thought that was interesting. Yes. And clearing her thoughts and calming or rather quieting her fears and anxieties. And by doing so, she actually supersedes her programming as a computer as we saw in that scene, that she knew of a threat before the computer sensors actually truly actually detected the it. threat. And then you have Saru's amazing line, greater focus creates greater awareness. Again, Saru dropping philosophical nuggets of just awesomeness. So that is also another category of the greater branches of philosophy yet again being used as a way to um, give more depth and meaning to your script. Now, I feel like it's reasonable to presume that this episode was built around the theme of taming your emotions, as I mentioned a few moments ago, or something to that effect, because not only did Burnham have to calm Zora, but the crew was also filled with anxiety if you just look at that little scuffle between Saru and Awosukum. Yes. That right there is an aspect of that anxiety. And the more of 
in the more obvious internal struggle that book was going through, attempting to temper his aggression and anger and the subsequent conversation he had with Saru and the rage of losing loved ones. Well, dude, that, that conversation, Saru had so many great, three great moments in this episode. And the third moment was his discussion with book Mm -hmm. and bringing it full circle with Saru and telling book that, listen, I know what you're going through because I have to sit opposite the Baul, yeah, who he's been at war with all his life, but he has to be, he has to find a common ground with them now. Yeah, yeah he doesn't have the luxury of having a thousand years of history of separating history. from or being um, separating the genocide. He to him, it was just like yesterday that exactly. his people were being killed off. So that I'm glad they brought that. To the forefront of this forefront. episode, because that's something I actually was thinking about. I'm like, how can you be so peaceful with these people that were murdering you guys? <laughs> Not just murdering you guys, but I believe the Ba'ul were actually using their bodies. And manipulating manipulating them, pa- pa- passing themselves off as what, gods? Yes. Essentially, like willingly sacrificing themselves to these creatures. Yeah. So, yeah, the the episode was definitely written around the theme of taming your emotions because that is definitely at the center of almost every single idea that was utilized in this episode. Now, David, tell me what you think about the book scene. I want to get into this a little more in greater detail, I should say. His dad warning him about Burnham. (laughs) Yes. Is this something that's going to come back? Because we had said last episode that it feels like he's going to break bad, essentially. That he's going to do something that goes against Burnham's commands. At the first part of the season, he said, you're not my captain. I'm not a part of Starfleet when he wanted to go do his own thing. Yes. He said something similar the following episode. Then last episode, he was upset at Burnham's decision to leave the prisoner Felix to his demise. Yeah. And then in this episode, he's having either his subconscious or the God of Shakari talking to him. <laughs> I'm making a joke. I don't think it's Shakari, but he's having something. Talking Let's leave to it him. out there, though. Leave it out there. <laughs> it could be. He is having someone or himself talking to him and warning him, trying to stir up these these feelings of distrust when it comes to Burnham. That was quite a statement as well by his alleged father. And you don't have elements like that included in your episode unless it's going to come back in some big way. Yeah, as a payoff. Yeah. And honestly, that whole scene, when you look at, book story right uh, right now in regards to this season mm-hmm. have there been times when burnham's choices have affected book negatively you could say at least a couple times so that could that could actually be his inner manifestation his inner thinkings is like his subconscious his sub- his surfacing yeah. yeah his subconscious surfacing now, that would be the easy route. Yeah, not as interesting. Not as interesting. It still works. Now, put on the tinfoil hat and like what we talked about earlier, you can throw in a bunch of other reasons. Yeah. I want to believe that the hallucinations he saw, his father, 
is another entity. Yeah. It has to be. Well, you ha- you got to remember the mycelial network is a conduit to travel. And the mycelial network was all fucked up inside of that void. There were connections to the galactic barrier. Yeah. And something can easily use the mycelial network to connect to his brain and communicate with him. You got to remember, too, that basically it's not too far-fetched because that's exactly what happened with Stamets. Yes. And yeah. Colbert. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So I am leaning to the fact that it is it is a benevolent being. It's the God of Shakari. <laughs> we can only hope. God of Sh- well, here's the thing. is like they're tossing around. There's so many things that they could toss around. I mean, the God of Shakari is one. Q is another. It's it could not be a Q. Q entity. It could be a Q entity. It doesn't have to be VQ. I I, I would feel a little uh, angry if it's like some random Q. Because this isn't Qs like to play games. Some, because you got to remember in Voyager, we met a couple Qs that do not like to play games. They were a little more angry. They were yeah. more angry. But for the most part, they seem to be very fun and fancy free. <laughs> some. You got to remember, one of the Qs committed suicide, Mike. Oh, <laughs> the Qs, yeah. That was such a great episode. It was a great episode, but yeah. it, it showed that basically, yeah, the Q that is in TNG and soon to be in Picard, that's our fan favorite one. He's right. fun and fancy free. But if you look at the history of Q, all the Qs are not made equal. Right. Like all of them are different. So it could be a different Q. And yeah, I mean, we, we brought up the possibility of, of, this connecting to like the extended books out there, like the Q continuum, it wouldn't be too far fetched. Yeah. But then, then you have to ask yourself, is this the story of discovery? Does it belong in discovery? And that's why you threw that monkey wrench now just a couple minutes ago by mentioning control. Yeah. It would make more sense to actually bring back control. We also have to remember we have the super AI from Picard as well. Which is an ancient, I believe they were described as an <laughs> yes. ancient primordial, primordial artificial, artificial intelligence, intelligence. That, sh- that fled the galaxy in order to escape the atrocities of biological life. Yes. And the whole point of Picard and that thing, not the point of Picard, because who knows what the point of Picard was. <laughs> but one of the story aspects within Picard had to do with the, the warning for AIs to stay away from people essentially. Yeah. And and remember that's what happened to the Romulans that that's what created the crazy Romulan cult. Yeah. That was totally against AIs. So, yeah. So we'll see Dave. We will see. Lastly, Burnham is making a family tree. Is this the reason for the scenes with Felix, the prisoner last episode, or is there more to it? Dude, I I really hope so because like that is still one of the elements that me that I go across. I'm not going. Why do we have this here? You have to make it pay off something. And if it is tied to the story of last episode with Felix, then I feel better. Yeah, I do, I do too. And also, if it, if it was meant more as a way to show Zora's affection for the crew, it works even better because. At the end of the episode, Zora wanted to create her own family tree, and the family tree was every crew member on the ship who she said a few minutes prior when she thought she was dying uh, that she cares for all of them. Yes. So it not 
it's very, it's actually heart touching. So if that was the reason why they brought in that family tree, then it worked to create that sentimentality. In one episode, Mike, can you believe this? In one episode, they've created a character that I honestly see online too. People are actually liking Zora in one episode. The reason why it works, David, is because it feels right. It feels it feels like it belongs in Trek because it does. We always have characters that do this in, in Trek and people who've listened to our shows now, they have heard us drone on and on about these types of characters. But it's the reason why Spock works. It's the reason why Data works. It's the reason why DePaul works. It's the reason why the Doctor works in Voyager. These characters are created to help writers explore the human condition and get into the nitty gritty of the philosophical. And now we have that here. Now, now here's the thing. Do you think it's going to be probably, probably the saddest moment in this season if they have to, if Zora decides to save the crew and run and ends up like Calypso? Well, Can you imagine how happen. sad that's going to be? Well, it's already sad when you think about it. Look, look at her destiny. Uh, yeah, it's fucked up. Yeah. Do you remember how depressed she was? Yeah. When, oh, dude, when she's when she sang stormy weather in the end. Yeah. It gave me vibes of when in uh, Calypso, when she's uh, uh, the happy face. Yeah. That was, the, was it the same song or no? I don't believe so. I think that was a different song. Okay. But it it still was the same vibe. And it's like, I really do feel sorry for Zora. Yeah. This sucks. <laughs> yeah. So. We all know it's not going to end well, unless maybe that was just a moment and maybe the Discovery crew ends up coming back. Maybe that moment isn't as sad as we think, or maybe that moment in Short Treks isn't as final as it feels. Perhaps that is just a time gap and whatever story that they can easily bring her back in and say, oh, look, this wasn't the end of the series, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so who knows what will happen? Although I will say that this conversation today is filled with speculation and it theory. Is. And that's what it, I like rather than just oh, yeah. simply breaking down the episode, which I fucking love doing that. There's a lot to break down from time to time, but I also like the speculation. And we haven't been able to sit and do that in a while now. Oh, yeah. This is like healthy speculation, too. It's not like, you know, I make the jokes about putting on the tinfoil <laughs> hat, but this is healthy speculation because, like, you could see the breadcrumbs everywhere, even down to the point that I wouldn't be surprised if we lost Zora at the end of this season because, remember, they hinted at a new ship in the very beginning. And what was the one thing everyone was like saying? Well, who's going to captain that ship? Yeah, but not, they can't get rid of Discovery, Dave. The show's called Discovery. That, that would be the worst decision ever made in the history of Star Trek. Hey I'm guys, saying. we have a show called Star Trek Discovery, and they're going to be on the USS Nug. And I, I'm going I'm <laughs> to tell you this right now, Mike. I'm going to tell you, this sounds cheesy, even when, so I'm back in the writing room with you, okay? No, okay, you want me to crucify you to the wall? <laughs> I, I'm going to look at you and say, hey, excuse me, Mr. Flores. Okay, we introduced this brand new ship in the very beginning. Why not? We get rid of, uh, we find this really emotional moment to lose Zora and they take over the new ship and we just rename it Discovery. Um, I think that's a really <laughs> shitty idea. <laughs> what I want you to do is bend down <laughs> as much as possible and literally fuck your own face. 
That's what I'd say. If you to writer writer David, writer David, you heard me clearly. <laughs> Start doing it. All right. So, David, last bit of news before we take off for summer or summer winter, winter break. break. Star Trek Discovery is taking its first mid-season hiatus, and it's starting after this next episode, and it will return February two thousand twenty-two. I'm actually okay with this. 100% okay with this for a lot of reasons. Number one, we were going to end up being behind by three episodes because we go to a, a, winter, break. a winter break for a couple of weeks. And I was already getting frustrated that we were going to be missing these episodes, <laughs> but now we're only going to miss one because there's one more that's airing and we'll only be behind one, and then we'll come back around January, I want to say 15th or 14th, and we'll get that episode out because the show doesn't come back until February 10th. Yes. February 10th. How do you feel about that? Are you okay with that mid-season hiatus? I'm okay with that because you know what this means, right? What's that? If we have this mid-season hiatus and Discovery's gone, that means prodigy falls into into place and we get to see that yeah. the, the great the great uh idea of basically star trek all year round non-stop yeah all right so this does bring us to the end of oh wait no we need uh, our final thoughts david oh, jesus what i am I, like i said at the top of the show i am completely out of it today <laughs> okay david why don't you go first Give me your RMD score and your final thoughts. Okay. This was actually a big uptick from the last episode. Good. And I ended up with a score of 88 on this one. All right. It's starting to creep up more because of all the ideas that me and you have discussed in this episode now, because there's stuff that I never even realized that I'm like going, there's more depth here. There's more meat on the bones here than I thought, mm -hmm. especially with the, in regards to the story of Zora. Yeah. And if they just, if they continue that trend of this beautiful story of this AI finding sentience and it's a ship. I think that's just, that is so Star Trek that if it ends with that, this could be my favorite season by far. Bonus. Zora's hot too. I looked <laughs> yeah. her up. The voice actor. The voice I'm like, actress? oh, hell yeah. Yes. Come on, quit playing around with that console, like holographic screen. Just produce yourself a body. <laughs> let's, let's get down to business. <laughs> So stupid. <laughs> you realize that if, that's why we we would not be allowed to actually have an AI on our ship. I know we because, are the most unethical motherfuckers. You know, and I'm not talking about just you and I. I'm talking about modern man, modern man, modern because humankind. Zora would like look at you and say, "You know what? There's a reason why I don't look into the holodeck when you guys go inside." David, she's the computer system. She sees everything. She sees, she's she's everything. literally watching oh my God, us whack right. it. She's like, "Well, there goes uh, Captain Michael again. He's uh, it's one uh, thirty in the afternoon. He should be working, but there he is jerking he is. it, jerking it in the sonic shower again." <laughs> All right, so you're going to give this episode an eighty-eight percent. An eighty-eight percent. Okay, I'm going to give this episode, David. Are you ready? 96%. I feel like it's a very, very strong episode. If equal, if not better than the fourth episode, which I absolutely loved. Yeah. And I, I was going to go a little higher, but I 
deducted a couple because I want to make sure that this is. It's not a fluke. I want to no. I want to make sure I'm being as objective as possible and not just reviewing based on you know my subjective Star Trek likes and speculation. Yeah, because just like you said, this episode created so much speculation. We don't know which way they're going to go. Yeah, great episode. I want to thank the writers and Jonathan Franks for just putting together an amazing hour of Star Trek, and I'm hoping. The rest of the season is just as good as this. All right, David, thank you. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain. It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.